Welcome to the Musea Podcast. This is episode number 22, and I'm Michael Howard, the founder and CEO of Musea. Uh, before we get to the interview, I want to remind you that tickets for the Musea Gathering go on sale this Monday at 9 a.m. Central Time. I've had nothing but positive response to the gathering. I want to thank all of you uh, for your encouragement and willingness uh, to share it with your friends. So personally, I couldn't be more excited about the gathering, and I cannot wait to officially release the campaign on Monday. So just as a reminder, the campaign will be hosted on the crowdfunding site Indiegogo. So make sure to follow us on Twitter, uh, which is at MyMusea, uh, because that's where I'll be announcing the direct link to the campaign on Monday morning. Uh, also, I'll be uh, posting a small blog post on the Musea blog uh, with a link as well. Uh, so if you're 100% behind the gathering and plan on coming, then please help us spread the word on Monday because the event will not happen unless we reach our funding goal of $115,000. So once we go over that mark, uh, the gathering will officially be on, and then we can all have a party. Uh, so make sure uh, to not only reserve your spot on Monday, but also share the campaign on your social networks, uh, Twitter, Facebook, if you're part of any sort of photography forum. Uh, I would love for people to blog about it. Um, anything like that, you can just share with uh, your friends and photographers that you know. Uh, also, if you are a regular listener of the podcast, I'd greatly appreciate it if you could take the time to rate and review this podcast in iTunes. Uh, the ratings and reviews help the podcast get more visibility so that more photographers uh, can find it. All right, so on to the interview with Dan O'Day and Sam Blake. Uh, Dan and Sam are going to be hosting uh, their Art in the Heart workshop at the Musea Gathering, so I thought this would be a great chance for you to get to know them better. Uh, both of them are accomplished wedding photographers. They have won numerous awards and both uh, also create and exhibit fine art photography. Um, I'm thrilled that they're coming all the way from Australia to be a part of the gathering, and uh, I hope you enjoy our talk. Um, in this podcast, we talk about proactive versus reactive shooting and how pain makes you a better creative so as always, thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy our conversation. Hello. Hello. How are you doing? Good, thanks, Michael. How are you? Hey, Michael. Hey. I'm doing yeah. great. It's nice to finally talk to you both. You too. Yeah, it's been a long time in, in the in the making. <laughs> yes, you guys are a little busy for some reason, doing something awesome somewhere. Slightly <laughs> <laughs> <Kind of> busy. <laughs> Stay, staying out of prison. Yeah. Right. In Ireland. Yeah. Good idea. In Ireland. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. How's everything going? The travels going good? You having fun? Yeah, we are. Lots of fun, but lo- yeah. very tiring as well. Yeah, we're just we're just sitting here talking about. We keep thinking like tonight we were just thinking, you know, because since we've been in Ireland, we haven't actually gone out and had like a Guinness or anything yet, and we've been here for a few days. But um, we've just been in lockdown because when we've been in the other cities, we've not had much of a chance to catch up on work. So um, we've just been in lockdown trying to get on top of things. But uh, we thought tonight's the big night. Tonight we're going to get out and go have a Guinness. And then just about five minutes before we called you, Sam's like. I don't think I can do it. I'm too tired. I don't think I can go out. So it looks like we'll have another night in. <laughs> that's all right. You got to rest, rejuvenate sometimes. So. Yes, that's what this week's about. Yeah, We're but... just catching up on work and sleeping. Yeah, taking it easy. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> the first thing I want to talk about is really uh, how you guys met and, um, you know, how you kind of got to where you guys are now and 
doing the workshop and that kind of stuff. So some of these questions are going to be kind of to both of you. So whoever yep. wants to jump the lead and you guys can both kind of answer whenever. Yep. You go, Sammy. You, you take it away. Oh, thanks, Danny. <laughs> um, all right. So how we first met, we actually yeah. were just internet friends. Um, we obviously knew who each other was just from our websites and blogs and that type of thing. And well, Dan actually had the same website template as me and, I remember checking him out and I was like, was not happy that another guy, another photographer in Australia had the same template as me and it's like, he's gotten down. <laughs> so that's my first memory of Dan. And then um, um, from there, I remember Dan started commenting I think, on my blog and that's where the friendship, I think, began. Yeah. Just exchanging emails. And then um, back in 2010, we finally met up at a photography workshop and... Um, from there, we just hit it off and became close friends and started collaborating together on projects and ideas. Yeah, and um, we spent, I mean, we've only really been hanging out for, what, like a year and a half or something? Yeah, well, just under two years. Just under two years we had, we had, was the first time we met. And, yeah, and we just did a bit of travelling last year um, together uh, all you know, the, I guess we're in one of those jobs where we get to enjoy a bit of travel, but we decided to go and do a travel, a trip external to, uh, I guess, commissioned work. We went to Tokyo, thought that'd be a fun project to go and hang out and, and document and walk around and just sort of get lost in it. And we did that, but it was at that time that we sort of, we were having a few conversations over in little sake bars as you do over there. And um, <laughs> the idea with the workshop, I guess, sort of, the conversations that we were having, we were really enjoying, you know, we kind of thought to ourselves, you know, like, um, you know, wouldn't it be good to sort of share these conversations and these thoughts with, with other people. And I guess that's kind of where we thought that we'd start uh, conceptualizing the idea for a, for a workshop. Um, yeah. And so that's where it began. Nice. So the workshop is something that you just launched this year, correct? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. All That's right. right. I mean, what did you feel like uh, that you could add, I guess, to the workshop conversations? And there's since there's so many out there that um, you know, you felt you could kind of fill like a void in a way with your workshop. She's pointing at you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> um, I, I guess what we were. I mean, we both attended some workshops before in the past, and I guess both of us. Uh, or at least attended seminars, you know, and have been spoken spoken at uh, by uh, lots of other photographers on on platforms and so on and so forth. And there's always something to gain from that. But um, I guess we sort of thought that um, we were seeing recurring patterns happening in the same sort of educational tools sort of being used at lots of these places and um, and some of the workshops. And so we thought that we'd, um, you know, both of us, I guess, um, I, I guess you could say that we're both um, creative people. We come from creative backgrounds and um, a, a lot of questions that we've both received from people when they've like um, emailed us or inquired with us, like other photographers have, have been weighted more towards our thought processes and the way that we create and see and so on and so forth. So we thought that maybe we build a workshop that basically still skimmed over lots of important things in business, but um, I guess it was weighted more towards um, the creative processes and, and alternative ways of thinking um, and seeing and, and I guess sort of helping people identify, um, what it is about them that's unique and how they can implement that. Um, 
there's lots of there's lots of workshops that tell you exactly how to do this and how to set your camera to this setting to achieve this result. What we're I guess we're trying to do is to say that there's no right or wrong result. The, the best thing you can possibly do is capture something or deliver something that best represents yourself. And um, I guess that's sort of our overall thing that we're doing. I would think it would be a little tough to. Um... I don't know. I've seen two. I've seen opposing views. I've seen a view, uh, uh, kind of opinions where some photographers think that you can teach somebody, um, or you can kind of encourage somebody in a way to help them kind of find their voice or vision or style or whatever. Uh, and then some people say that uh, people have to kind of just do that on their own somehow. Um, so how do you help people with that? The biggest thing that people get out of the workshops is. And then just giving them confidence that what they're doing is actually okay. I think so many people are so concerned if what they're doing is right or wrong or, you know, if they're just on the right track. And I think just confidence building is possibly the biggest thing. Because I think, and learning to follow your intuition as an artist, I think that's like learning to follow your gut instinct is possibly the biggest thing. Um you know, finding your vision and voice in that type of thing. So it's more about, I think, getting together with a bunch of other photographers and having this conversation for three days is probably the, um, you know, the thing they get out of it um, the yeah. most, that they're not alone in it and the, the, their fears and concerns in how they're running their businesses we, you know, we all have them and at different levels of our careers. And it can be a very um, lonely um, job, and it's which is kind of ironic because we spend, we probably spend each weekend with more people than anyone spends with in their life. But <laughs> right. uh, you know, especially as a business owner as well, you sort of you're always analysing your business and you're wondering, and people get a bit nervous, uh, um, and and it can be really scary to sort of take chances and. Um, and to sometimes just go with what your gut's telling you. You know, you might have your gut telling you one thing, but your head's definitely telling you another thing, I guess, when it comes to business. Um, a lot of the times for lots of business people, the head wins out, you know, because mm -hmm. um, it's risky. And um, I guess to, to sort of more directly try and answer your question about how do we help people identify um, who they are, um, first of all, I guess, yeah, we let them know, we give them permission to be who they are, let them know that it's okay. We They learn from... We do our best, myself and Sam, to sort of show the attendees um, all there is to show. Um, clothing on, of course, but <laughs> all there is to show. Well, depends. You know, some of the hey. some of the nights get pretty crazy, but right. um, but to, to sort of show them, break ourselves down, and sort of help them see what makes us up, what what I guess um, inspires us, what has inspired us, in a way to try and explain how we see and how we create um, and let them know that it's okay to tap into those areas themselves or perhaps even open up a few doors for themselves to explore they might not have known it there before. Um, yeah, I guess. I hope, I hope that answers the question in some way. Yeah, no, it's good. It's one of the, it's very, it's one of those things that's kind of hard to articulate. So yeah, there's no like A equals B plus C and this is the answer. It's just sort of, you know, obviously some people um, will have, I guess, uh, a more success, I guess you could say, with, with, with it and, than others might. Um, but it comes down to the person, I suppose. 
as photographers, I think we, uh, you know, we like to kind of get critique on obviously our work, um, and I'm sure that it plays a role into some of what you're doing in the workshop, but also just getting a critique on like our ideas and business ideas and branding and such. Does that, um, sounds like you're talking about that of like, you know, we have these crazy ideas and then being able to throw that out to people, uh, that you respect in a way and get some feedback of like, Oh, this is a great idea. And so it helps with like validation to like, Oh, you're not actually crazy. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's a huge thing. It's, and so. it's amazing seeing when people get into that sort of group environment, they sit around and they think, and they come up with these ideas or they have that things that they want to share or thoughts that they want to share with the group. It's amazing to see people light up and get just pumped full of gas when they just get the occasional, they get that first nod or smile from someone else letting them know, Hey, that's cool. Or that's, you know, you're on the right track. Um, Sometimes that all you need is just that little, little push, a little tiny, little tiny push or smile to sort of give yourself permission. Well, I'm excited that you uh, are involved with the gathering. Um, so are we. So are we. Yeah. Very excited to be part of it. <laughs> this, uh, it's going to be good. Um, one of the things I was looking at on your workshop is there was uh, just specific. I don't. We're not going to talk about your workshop the whole time, but um, this is more of a just a creative thing, but. Uh, you had the idea of, uh, I guess, being proactive versus reactive in terms of, like, getting a shot that you're, um, like, getting the shot or whatever. You just had a little sentence on your uh, workshop site. So what is the that concept of, like, proactive versus reactive? This is a concept I kind of came up with once I met Dan and saw his way of shooting, I guess, because we, we're, we're – we have a big crossover in our work. Um, I would say Dan's my main competitor um, in Australia. Um, you know, in terms of if people don't book me, then they're probably booking Dan. Um, so it's funny that we're so close, um, you know, in friends and, you know, we know so much about each other's businesses, but we don't hold that. But we shoot so differently. That was this is interesting thing. I'm definitely a reactive shooter. I'm a much more of an emotional, um, follow my gut type, um, reactive shooter. But then Dan shoots in this different way. And I was trying to describe it to someone, our differences. And the best way I came up with was that he was proactive. So it's the difference between being a proactive shooter and a reactive shooter. And, do you want to take it away on the pre the proactive yeah, the, part? Pro the proactive thing that Sam is talking about, I guess, is one element of um, what I might. So we're, we're talking. As far as, let's just use an, a wedding for example. Um, it's it's just an element of, of my my shooting process that I do when I'm shooting weddings, and so, um, you know, um, I mean, I document a lot, and I love documenting. And um, but I guess the proactive part is when I first started shooting. Um, weddings I came from a fine art background and so I was so used to going out and storyboarding my my um um my shoots I suppose and so when I started shooting weddings I wasn't really looking at many other wedding photographers work I was just sort of going from I was just applying my art photography into weddings and um I, I guess I was pretty naive to it all I, which I think worked in, my, in in worked for me in the end but um I what I used to do with the is is I would go out and I'd scout a lot um, and I'd conceptualize these sort of fine art shoots for the location shoot of the day. And, um, and I put a lot of effort into 
coming up with, I guess, pieces of art that um, my couples could walk away with at the end of the wedding in addition to me documenting it. And so I put this energy into being, I guess, proactive with my scouting and my conceptualising and, 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 um, and I guess treating my weddings more or more like a fine art shoot. Um, the only difference is, I guess, is, uh, you know, the models were paying me as opposed to me paying the models. Mm. <laughs> um, and I guess that's kind of where that stemmed from anyway. Specifically kind of for Dan on this one is, you know, looking at your site, you know, I found that you're, I guess I were originally a painter, um, and you came from like a very artistic family, it seems like, except, uh whatever, your mother and sister or something like that. Yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> God bless them. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm always interested when people start out in another medium or, and then transition to photography. Um, Kirk Maston, I think he was a bit of a painter uh, when I interviewed him for the podcast um, as well. And so I'm interested in what – how does that translate or how did, you know how does that kind of discipline of painting and thinking and conceptualizing what you're talking about translate into – your photography. Mm -hmm. um, it was a really nice transition for me. Um, it, I did. I was. Uh, I was showing uh, with my paintings for a few years. Um, had a few gallery shows with those, and painting is what I grew up doing. And uh, my dad's a painter, and so it was. Photography never really crossed my mind. And then a gallery, uh, a photo gallery, um, uh, approached me who I knew, I knew one of the guys that worked there and they sort of said, look, there's an opening for a, an exhibition coming up, but, um, you know, but it's only photography. Do you reckon you can do a photography show? And so I was like, yeah, no worries. That's cool. So I bought a whole bunch of magazines and then, um, <laughs> I bought a bunch of magazines and picked out all these photography that I really liked and started emailing photographers, um, that I liked asking them what gear they were using to get these certain photos. Um, which is so lame because, you know, you get those emails now and you're sort of like, ah, but they were re remarkably polite. Um, but there was this photographer, um, back home and he, I sent an email saying, yeah, look, you know, what camera did you use? What's your kit? And he wrote back and told me everything. He said, RZ Pro 2, you know, medium format 6.7. I'm like, okay, thanks for your email. So I went out and bought it. Uh, <laughs> just thinking I had to have that. Anyway, so I, I shot. My ex shot the first show, and I guess the one of the common things that my fine art stuff gets is, is, is that people say that it has a bit more of a painterly feel. Um, and I guess my influences in paint um, transcended across into stills for me. Um, and uh, I guess I can't help, but I mean, you know, I still love the the colours and the textures, and I know I still paintings. I'm still very much inspired by paintings, and um, and so at that time, anyway, my photos looked a bit more like paintings, I guess. And um, then I started showing with those. And then from what, fine art photos, I was asked to do a wedding for a friend. And then I guess I, I brought that into a wedding. And that's then how it started to evolve. And back home, I was sort of, um, I guess I started doing something a little bit more differently than what a lot of my local other photographers were doing. And that sort of helped me get a bit of a leg up. What type, well, when you were doing painting, what type of subject matter did you deal with? I'm just curious. Um, I was actually using well, it's well, it's a bit of a long journey. It started when I was <laughs> much when I was much younger, but I mean, I grew up sort of sketching and and, and working with oils a lot. Um, but as I 
got bigger. My paintings did as well. And um, then I couldn't afford to like spend just oils, like heaps of money on oils because my canvases would be like two meters by two meters. Like they were massive. And so I started using like um, house paints and um, I was using oil based and acrylic and sort of mixing the textures together. And, and um, they're not meant to work together very well and they don't, but I love the effect that it gave. So I just worked in motion and movement. They were quite abstract, non-figurative stuff, but yeah, lots of movement, lots of mess. I would just think that whatever your subject matter was in your painting would kind of inform a little bit of what your photography would be to a degree. So yeah. with, with your work, Dan, one of the things I was looking at um, or noticed about your work is kind of your storytelling. Um, it yeah. seems like that's like a very strong drive for you. Part of it is, I guess, because of you tend to want to like put multiple images together, like sequences yeah. and things like that. Yeah. Um, so what is it about storytelling that excites you so much? Uh, it, yeah, I'm so glad you picked up on that. <laughs> um, that's more where I'm at now, I suppose. Like the journey, like photography has taken me on a journey from wanting to create fine pieces of art to now more, I'm more heavily inter- interested, I guess, in the storytelling aspects. But I guess what I like about that is it actually, um, it takes you somewhere. Um, I think storytelling puts you in a, puts you somewhere, put, it puts you in the scenario and that way it's much more relatable. And I, I, I think that um, people are affected, humans are affected um, much more heavily by something when it's relatable to them. And um, if I can shoot a sequence that makes the viewer feel like, and if the viewer's the client or whoever feel like they're standing there and they, 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 they witness that sequence, they felt the movement in that moment, it becomes a little bit more real. And um, that's what I like about doing that. I mean, are you getting to where you're looking more at, like, movies and things now just because of, like, linear sequences or no? It's funny you mentioned that, actually. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I, I was speaking to Sam today about this. I mean, I've been loving uh, – I had a friend a little while ago ask me if I'd be interested in um, uh, directing something that they were doing to make films. And, um, and, and I've always been interested in moving into, like, um, cinematography or, you know, something like that in, in cinema. But, um, yeah, like, that would be great one day to explore. I, I would never rule that out. I'd love to work on something. But um, that's, like, that's on my to play around with in life list. Yeah. Have you looked at Dwayne Michaels' work much? Sorry? Have you looked at Dwayne Michaels' work? Mm, no. Okay. You need to go after this podcast. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you need to look at this guy's work. Um, All right. He's, uh, okay, so he's... Uh, film photographer, but he's like 70s, 80s mostly. Yeah. And it's like Dwayne, like D U A N E uh, Michaels. Um, you'll find it. Um, black and white. Okay. And he does all these like series of like, they're mostly triptychs, but they're like okay. movies. He sets them up. It's completely a stage, but they're like movie sequences. And he purposely tells stories with them. Um, but they're all like very mysterious and uh, kind of dreamlike or they're kind of threatening in a way like you know two people cross paths in the street and there's a sense of like maybe danger or like uneasiness in the pictures but anyway i think you i love the sound of it yeah anyway uh if you like the sequencing of images he's like the king of that so all right that's um, that's an awesome thank you very much um and then sam like i was looking at your work and uh your work is similar but uh, the more I looked at it, it felt different, especially like your personal work versus Dan's. Um, 
and I think that's probably you know I completely get what you're talking about with the proactive and reactive thing. Um, with your work, I got a sense that uh, you were just having like an emotional reaction to something, and you were trying to almost capture a photo that gives the viewer that same emotion or something in a way. I don't know. Um, yes, I think that's you got a spot on actually. Does that sound familiar? Okay, so uh, I guess yeah. I mean, the same question is kind of why why do you tend to work that way, and like what is it? You know, what excites you about kind of emotions and trying to convey that in a still image, which is extremely hard, by the way. I uh, don't show of my, what my, why I work that way. It, I just, it's just who I am, I guess. Um, I mean, I'm a very, what's the, I guess, emotional, I guess, sort of person. Um, you know, everything I do is based on the way I react to things, I guess. So, like, when I first became interested in photography, I just remember looking at these um, photographs and being so moved by them. And I thought that was amazing and so powerful that a person can go out into the world, click a button, and then someone look at an image later on and then, you know, even years on and, and be moved by that just as the photographer was when they, they clicked the button. And I think that's an amazing thing to be able to do. So... I think that's my, my, my biggest interest in photography. Um, I like drawing people in. Um, I, I'm especially attracted to the very sort of quiet moments uh, or scenes, I guess, that I guess people can, based on their past experiences and memories, can feel um, that photograph with their own um, emotional response to it, I guess. I, I like that people's imaginations, rather than just going, this is a photograph and this is what I saw, I like that people can react to it and their interpretation of it can be different to mine, I guess, as well. So when I look at your work, it seems like, um, I don't know, it's, it's a very difficult way to work, but I think it's um, a great way to work because uh, you can really separate yourself that way because uh, most photographers you know they go in and they want to shoot the surface of something and like this is what it looked like or this is a you know a record of what was there on that day and these people looked like this certain way or whatever you know and so they like that memory aspect of it but with your work it seems more like um it's a little bit it has a little bit about you in a way like this is what i felt when i was in this place that kind of a thing Exactly. I was just about to say that rather than going, this is what it looked like for me, it's more, this is what it felt like to be there. Yeah. Um, I guess yeah, that's my main motivation in, in photographing anything I do is, um, it's what it felt rather than looked, I guess. Yeah. One of the reasons I'm, I th I'm interested in that is just because I think that one thing a photograph does well is it shows what a place looks like. So, um, so how do you um, go against the nature, I guess, of, of photographs in a way to uh, deal more with, like, emotions and things like that? So is it just through color, um, motion, line, that kind of thing? Um, it's really hard to put into words. Yeah. I've, I've been asked, um, you know, in previous interviews and things to try and summarize it, and I can't. It's, it's really hard. Yeah, um, that's okay. 
it's a combination of of things, but in pure, it's it's just me reacting to my my intuition and my gut instinct, I guess. Mm. Like it's just this emotional reaction that kind of happens. I it's a non thought process. It's just reactional, I guess. It's just I do what feels right and. Like I actually don't think too much about it, um, yeah. but I guess in the the technical side of things, it, you know, color does come into a lot of things. Um, when me and Dan went to Japan last year, I um, created a series of images um, from my time in Japan, and uh, I use color to help convey the story of of me visiting Japan. Like there was a lot of cold bluish tones because I kind of wanted this um, isolated cold. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. What I guess what I was attracted to in Japan um, is that, you know, it's one of the biggest cities in the world, but how can uh, what I was going, what I was experiencing or when I was in Japan is it's such a big city how can anyone possibly ever feel loneliness in a city that big because mm. there's so many people around? And I was really exploring the idea of are the loneliest people live in the biggest cities in the world? So I guess that was my idea mm. when I was in Japan and what I was thinking about while I was there. So, you know, I was using more colder tones in the way I processed the images to help convey that feeling, I think. Yeah. Yeah, no, I completely understand that. Yeah, and I would think post-processing would, uh, if you're trying to get something that's more uh, feels more emotional in a photograph, that post-processing would have a little bit more importance than somebody that's more of a purist that's just trying to record what something looks like because then you're just trying to get the ac the colors and stuff accurate and true to the day versus maybe throwing the color cast off because you want it to have a certain feel, you know? So... Yeah, I'm all about throwing the color cast off. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I was looking on Dan's blog, but he quoted you, Sam. But I like the quote. And so you can, Dan, you can talk about it or Sam, you can talk since you said it, but, um, or you can both talk about it. But it was actually a recent post and it's, I guess you had said that uh, through the greatest discomfort comes the greatest growth. Um, and I really like that idea. So where did that quote come from and the history behind that? Um, I came up with a quote last year, I think. I um, Last year I just, or it was probably about just over a year ago, year and a half ago, I decided to pack up my life in Perth in, in Western Australia, sell my house, sell my car, shut down my photography business in that city and moved to the other side of the country to where I knew only four people um, just because I thought it would be an awesome thing to do. Um, and through that journey of completely changing everything, um, you know, it was such an uncomfortable process. I also realised I grew so much in that. And, and as an artist, I also grew so much in that process and I relate it back to everything now. Um, whenever I'm feeling really unhappy about my work or 
where I am at, I guess, even in life, um, when I get to this really uncomfortable period, I know that something big is just around the corner. So I actually embrace the uncomfortable now because I know something good is on its way. Um, and I try and whenever I feel uncomfortable with anything, particularly my work and my photography, that um, it's just what pushes me to get better. It's, I guess it's what fuels me. Um, it, you know, I've acknowledged that part of my creative process really works for me. And I think it's me realising that was a really powerful thing in my work. Um, so rather than running away from the uncomfortable, I just run, I, you know, I want to run head on to it now. And I keep thinking of more things to make me feel uncomfortable. And um, <laughs> my current idea is to actually pack up life in Australia and move to America now just because wow. it's the next challenge. Um, I do it in baby steps for myself. I just wear my pants backwards. Every <laughs> <time>. <laughs> um, no, I think there's some great truth in that because uh, I don't know. I always relate. Anytime I'm, anytime like I, I'm not the guy that like exercises a ton, but I will go in like spurts like if i will get something like a goal or something and stuck in my head like i want to run a half marathon or whatever even going from like not running to like i want to run a half marathon in like four months like something crazy like that and so then uh, which i did a couple years ago and so i trained um and so during that training process it i was in physical pain quite a bit <laughs> yeah but I, I, okay. <laughs> but it, it, uh, you, but you grow from it, and you're stronger the next time you go out, you know? Um, but you always have to push into, you know, if, if six miles become easy, then you really need to run, like, eight, which makes it miserable. But then the next time you run, seven miles is easy, so then you need to go to nine. Um, and as creatives, I think it's hard to stay self-disciplined enough to push ourselves into that pain because, um, I don't know. It just seems like it's such a lonely thing. Like you were saying earlier, Dan, that we kind of have to, uh, we have to willingly kind of go there to do anything that's like great, you know? Um, there's an idea, um, called the creative workout, which like, um, athletes, which is exactly about the running thing. Um, I did the half marathon thing last year. So I know exactly what you're talking about, <laughs> Michael. Um, that we can't expect um, our imagination and our creativity to be at full force if we don't ever work it out. So we have to keep pushing at it, pushing at it. Um, like an Olympian, they don't just go to the Olympics one day. They spend years and years training for it every single day, multiple hours a day. And as creatives, we need to do the same thing about um, having constant workout. Um, we need to uh, have different exercises that pushes our creativity and our imaginations to push us forth in our work. To be the best that they can be, we can't just sit back on the couch with a bag of chips and, you know, expect to go out and, and be the fastest runner, you know, in the neighbourhood next weekend. It's, we need to keep moving forward with it and keep it regular. Yeah. Otherwise it gets stale. Um, how does the, the the idea of that, I mean, is that something that you talk about at the uh, Art and Heart Workshop 
part in the heart workshop. Um, and do you run yeah. into attendees that are that the workshop for them becomes something that um, allows them to push forward through that pain? Like, I'm trying to think. Like, it seems like you can only push yeah. through that. Like, when you kind of get into a community of, of some sort to like encouragement from other people to like keep going or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. We throw them straight into it. Like, we won't blow it. We won't. We won't disclose too much because we don't we got we have the other people that are coming up to know what's going on but um you know like we, we talk about that a bit and um and we sort of get the ball rolling for them pretty much on the spot definitely push them into the uncomfortable we, we definitely get very uncomfortable day one yeah. <laughs> and um which but i have to say that I've, I've still yet to experience someone coming back from after we made them uncomfortable and and it seems that every person that we've spoken to afterwards, you know, they've got this like this glow and this look about them. This, you know, they're 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 pumped, and that's really really great. Um, and uh, and you know, we sort of we also like, you know, for the different uh, workshops that we've done, we've we've had Facebook groups that we um, we keep going for each group, and that they all communicate. Everyone communicates with one another, um, checks in on one another, and. When they when other when other when other attendees have you know accomplished something, um, they often will share it with the group and yeah, once it, it, it becomes a mini a, a mini community, I suppose, of encouragement, yeah. which I think is that's great. Um, you guys are obviously crazy busy. <laughs> um, so how do you avoid kind of burning out? I guess would be my question for you. <laughs> or are you right in the middle of it right now? Yeah, <laughs> we're googling that ourselves. <laughs> uh, we we definitely uh, are not doing a workshop and telling people how not to burn out. <laughs> no, I think we've both experienced the burnout. We've both been there. Like we've both experienced burnout. Like you know, like extreme burnout. We've we've learned what it's like to be on the side, you know, the bad side of the burnout, and how that can actually, you know choose up your creativity and your motive to stay motivated. So, um, there's an, yeah, there's, I mean, you know, everyone's looking for the balance and I mean, we're still looking for the right balance, <laughs> you know? Um, I think anyone that says they, I'd love to meet anyone that. Who is in this who, industry. Who is in this industry that's got, I've got it. I've nailed it. I've got the perfect balance, you know? Um, except maybe Justin Lyon. He seems like he's balancing pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, like it's, um, you know, I, I mean, it's one of those things. I think as long as people are aware of burnout, like, you know, I, I wasn't, I always was warned. I ended up in hospital last year, uh, you know, with pneumonia and uh, it was, it was a, a result, I think directly of just overcommitting myself to everything. Mm -hmm. And, um, and it took me going there to really take it seriously. Everyone was always saying, you know, you better take it easy. You're going to burn out. I'm like, yeah, well, to me, burnout was just a, you know, a word or is it two words? Anyway, <laughs> you know, but, um, yeah, I think as long as people are aware that it's real and it can happen, um, you know, I think that's important, but yeah, I'm, I don't know what the answer is to, to stopping it completely yet. <laughs> For me, it's about cutting down on work, and that's something I've been refining over the last three oh, years. Yeah. Well, or we know so. the theory. That's it. Well, we I mean, know the that, theory. That's what, we're moving more and more. That's what we've done. It. Like both of us were shooting, you know, the last three years, you know, fifty plus weddings a season, and oh, wow. uh, it's 
that's you do that for for a certain period of time in a short period of time and that's going to take its toll on anyone um so you know like for example what i my step i've taken this season is to strip my weddings back so you know i'm only going to shoot 25 this season um may, with room maybe to push it up to 30 if some amazing fantastic weddings pop up but um i'd like to stick to around the 25 30 limit and um and give myself a bit of a break and and um and see how life see how that feels you know that's my contribution to myself for the next season <laughs> and i'm exploring taking a year off um and going off and exploring some new direction in my work so that's a handy that's floating around in my head at the moment just kind of personal work i guess yes thank you just working entirely on personal work and see where i can push that that's awesome uh not a lot of photographers are willing to do that, so I think more people need to, for sure. Um, yeah, I agree. Yeah, absolutely. What is what's the biggest mistake that you see kind of beginning photographers making? I think it's been too influenced by other photographers, to be honest. Um, and you know, I'm guilty of this too. When I first started out looking. You know, because you want to make sure you're doing wedding photography the right way. So you spend all this time looking on um, other photographers' blogs and trying to get ideas and inspirations. And I find it just all ends up taking over your brain. And, you know, the worst thing I think I ever did was doing that. And I remember the first few weddings I ever photographed, I never looked at a single wedding photograph before. Uh, and to me, that was my most pure time of shooting because I shot... In, purely for myself and I wish I could erase the images that seeped into my brain of other people's work so my best my advice always to new photographers is go out and look at other photo photography outside of wedding world um yeah go, you know go look at fine art photography and fashion photography and, and films and stuff and try cinema and inspiration and... from other areas that aren't your direct competitor because a lot of people I think when they're starting out strive to make their photographs look as cool as these other photographers because they want to come across as professional because they want to look just like them but the problem is that they're kind of phasing themselves out in a saturated enough market as it is so it's going to, it's going to be even harder for them to to make an impact and to get the attention of of clients and when they're in a situation like that the only sort of um, position they put themselves in to stand out is on their price and then that's when that whole undervaluing sort of kicks in and they sort of find themselves you know shooting all day weddings including an album and charging you five dollars so it's <laughs> I think um I think it's it's you know I mean we've all been there you know that's what you know that's exactly how I started as well and you know mm -hmm. um you know it's just I think that's and it will always happen, you know, it's going to always happen. But I think that's the most common thing that I see. Yeah. yeah. Um, I guess for each of you, like, why weddings? Because obviously you're, I mean, I kind of ask this of a lot of people I talk to that shoot weddings, but you obviously have the talent and skill to do other things. So what is it about weddings that you love or like? I just started paying to take some money. <laughs> Just the money, <laughs> sell it, selling out. Yeah, selling out. Um, no, 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 no. I mean, the thing is, for me, for me anyway, um, I was in a job, a nine to five government job for a long time, um, and um, I was pursuing photography and my art on the side, and 
I was no longer uh, happy in, in the in the in the government job. Um, and but I was really enjoying shooting weddings, you know, and um, and I, I was just enjoying shooting. I, you know what? I, I think I even take the word weddings out of it. I was just enjoying taking photos uh, a lot, and weddings were giving me the opportunity to take lots of photos regularly. And I was getting better and better and better. I felt myself getting weddings made me get much better really quickly um, because I was first forced to learn so much every weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was really exciting at the beginning and terrifying as well. But um, I think that as, as aside from the, the first year or two of, of sort of really um, finding my feet, and working out how to use my tools as best as I could um, and, and sort of working out what my thing is and what it is that I do um, or what it is that I enjoy about capturing weddings. Um, yeah, I, um, that, 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 that first couple of years was very exploratory and very, um, I don't know, a bit all over the place for me. But um, I think what I'm loving about it now is I feel I feel – like, I don't know, I'm pushing, I give myself like, a, I still look, treat it like personal photography when I shoot a wedding. I still treat it like I'm sh- documenting anything. It, it's just that there's a wedding in front of me and I enjoy that I get to do that. I mean, you get tired. And the one thing that, that the weddings were doing, I guess, to answer the question is it gave me a way out of the government. So it was a regular, my fine art photography was earning me money when I had an exhibition, but it wasn't earning me money regularly. And so I, I realised that I could make an income regularly through weddings, and um, and also get to do, get to take photos, um, and that's how it started out. And when I realised that it could be something that could be a bit more long term, um, I became more and more attracted to it. And yeah, now it's just like a party every weekend. And yeah, <laughs> same for you. Uh, for me, I would say like as. After I um, finished university, I studied photography, obviously explored many different avenues of photography, commercial and fashion and weddings, portraits and all that. And I ended up just refusing to do any other type of work and just concentrated on the weddings. Um, Obviously, the money was attractive. I was trying to save to go backpacking around the world, so it was a good weekend job for me, but what made me fall in love with it was compared to other types of photography is people hired me for my vision, the way I saw the wedding day, um, which what I felt with like fashion and commercial work is, you know, they, I had to cater to the client's brief, which frustrated me. Um, cause we, if we didn't have the same vision, um, I feel like I was having to compromise. Whereas with wedding photography, I, I don't feel like it's a compromise. It's entirely for me. Um, obviously I'm delivering something to the clients, but they don't hire me unless they like what I do. So for me, I, I find wedding photography gives me the most creative freedom. Uh, I get to, you know, dictate my own hours and, um, well, not really cause I end up working all day, every day, but <laughs> in the fashion and the commercial worlds I felt I was still working for someone else whereas I don't feel that with wedding photography I feel a lot freer and I just enjoy 
Um, getting to do what I exactly what I want to do, I guess. Yeah, when people are hiring you for you. Not because you're just a wedding photographer that takes wedding photos. It's yeah. They want your interpretation of the wedding day. It's mm-hmm. such a nice feeling. That's like the, the biggest... Um, compliment. Compliment, yeah. And that's what I... I think what we both really love about, I guess, where we are at with our clients now, I suppose, is the fact that they've got us for um, for who we are as far as how we see and not necessarily, um, you know, how many canvas prints we'll include with a slide show or something like that, I suppose. Right, the features. <laughs> um yeah. Which brings up an interesting topic. Um, <laughs> how do you get there? Because so many photographers I know want to get there, um, but they don't know how, or they're they're scared to put themselves out there so much that um, they won't be able to afford to do it. You know, uh, they have to turn down some of the people that don't fit for them in order yeah. to match the people that do. Um, mm-hmm. and so they're just struggling making that leap, even though that's where they know they need to go. So how do you get there? Um, there's a couple of really simple things that I think is good to do and from different, different stages. When I first started shooting weddings, um, I realized straight away that I didn't want to keep shooting weddings. If I was getting a lot of the clients that I was getting, it was very sort of, I guess, bottom end, you know, lots of sunnies and, um, cigarette smoking and like you know, jumping on cars and jackets over the shoulder sort of weddings. And um, uh, what I what I sort of did with a, a little rule of thumb that I applied for myself was um, shoot uh, two for them and one for me. So what I was doing at those weddings is I was I was shooting, making sure I got the safe stuff, making sure that I was ticking all the boxes. Um, and so I was shooting, and then I'd also on the side shoot images that I really enjoyed, shoot and not be scared to take a photo that I'm going to keep and they they might not even like. But um, so I just kept saying, you know, two for them, one for me, two for them, one for me, all the way through the weddings when I was shooting. And so what I would do is I would deliver the safe photos to them at the very beginning, keep them happy. But then on my website or my blog, I would only show images that I was happy to promote myself. And so. Um, as I started doing that more and more, I, I, I would attract more of the right clients for me, the clients that enjoyed those moments that I was seeing. And so um, what I would then do is go through and only blog weddings or blog moments that I wanted to be hired to shoot. Um, and as that happened, the more I promoted myself like that, I attracted those people. And the more you have of those people, the more of those moments are presented to you and the more of those weddings are presented to you and the more you show them, it just snowballs. And so it takes a few years, but, um, each year for me has, um, as far as the clientele goes or my couples and clientele sounds so lame, but as, as my couples go, I suppose I've, I've each year I've attracted more and more of the right people for me because I've been showing only images that I want to be hired to shoot. There's not one image on my blog or my website that I haven't considered if this still on its own, would this be enough for me to be hired? So by the right people, it takes time. Yeah. And if you're not getting a good feeling about it, obviously people need to pay the bill. So that's what I'm saying. Like, you know, when you're starting out, take, take everything, you know, get shoot weddings, get experience, get better, but just be, don't blog everything. Don't show everything. Don't show, you know, something on your website because you think 
that they, they will enjoy that. Don't show the family formals if it's not showcasing the best of your vision or the best of your work or what you want to be hired to shoot. So um, I guess just being strategic in that way helps out. Yeah. Same for you, Sam, or just ditto or no? Any other additional things? Oh, <laughs> no, that definitely applies to me. I, from the day one, I was always just putting out the images I only connected with. But um, big thing for me is just... Like there's the um, concept of the 10,000-hour 10, 10, rule in order to master your craft. That is so, so true. Like I have definitely done my 10,000 hours um, and I know I have. And like I've shot, you know, 350 weddings or more by now. And, um, you know, I went crazy for the first few years. I shot, you know, 50, 60 weddings every single year. And the advantage that has it's insan it's insanity um but the benefit insanity. It's insanity. <laughs> benefit is is i have learned how to so you know 350 weddings i have learned how to deal with 700 different brides and grooms um personalities so you know it's like i mastered my craft quickly in that sense like i've still got a long way to go but i learned how to deal with different personality types and how to connect with the introverts and with the extroverts. Um, you know, rather than only shooting 10, 15, 20 weddings a year, my skill level in just how to learn how to connect with people grew so quickly. And obviously my technical skills um, went with that. Um, you know, injecting myself into all different types of lighting conditions and, you know, and then shooting 60 weddings a year gives you a, a large variety of... Um, images that you can choose from to then best represent your brand and, and vision um, on your portfolio. So to me, that I think is definitely been the, one of the major things to my six, you know, success so far in my career is being stupid enough maybe to <laughs> do that. Um, yeah. you know, it's come with great re reward now. Like I, I'm in a position where I had the choice to take a year off if I, if I wanted to. Um, so, you know, there is a reward for being stupid um, <laughs> as well, you know. Um, I, I would say is if you don't feel like a wedding, if you're starting out in your career and you don't feel like a, re a wedding is necessarily right for you, why isn't it right? Is it just because you're scared of connecting with that personality type? Um, if the couple are a bit more introverted than what you would prefer is maybe you just need to learn how to connect with that personality type more. Um, you know, to me, that's been the biggest thing is just learning how to um, get what I need out of different personality types to create the work that I want to create. Um, so I found that to be a really crucial thing to, for me. Yeah, I mean, this is great because this is very encouraging to me because – uh, it's nice to, to see kind of the very talented people in the industry, but also see like how hard you guys work and how many hours you've put into it. Um, how much you've kind of sacrificed in a way to get to kind of where you're at, uh, that it's not, you know, I mean, being a wedding photographer, it's not this like fantasy, amazing thing i mean it's fun and it's you get to do a lot of cool stuff but you got to put like 130 percent into it you know um so it's kudos to you guys for 
you know, <laughs> get it doing that and, uh, you know, just showing people that it's, it's hard work, you know, you got to work your tail off if you want to get anywhere with it. Um, no, nope. yeah, yeah. <laughs> nobody's going to hand it to you, you know, it's true. That's true. So very true. I think, <laughs> <laughs> um, well, yeah, well, that's it. I mean, I really appreciate you guys taking the time. I know you're swamped and, uh, so I'm very appreciative and honored that you guys would chat with me for a little bit. It's been a nice break, actually. It's been really nice. <laughs> Just to sit. <laughs> you should have had a Guinness now. That would have been awesome. I know, I know, I know. I'm, I'm totally inspired to go get one. Like, my uh, we might reward set. ourselves now. We might reward ourselves. Our first Guinness in Ireland. Yeah, I feel like we've been productive. This has been productive. Yeah. We can go have a drink and, and enjoy a Guinness. Yeah. <laughs> Well, thanks again for coming on. I love, you know, I'm super excited for you guys being involved in the gathering. You know, I thank you so much for that. And I'm um, excited to see where everything goes over the next couple of months. So thank you. Thanks, thank you, Michael. Michael. You're a legend.